Taylor here, and you're listening to the Whiskey Culture Podcast. Here's your host, Greg Sinadinos. And we are with Caesar from Absolo, right? Absolo. Absolo. It's a tongue twister. Absolo. Absolo. And uh, with that, we're we're going to go into the brand. We're going to go into um, how we got in with the brand about him and and his whiskey journey. Let us just start with uh, with the basics. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you know the brand where it's located and and a little bit about the products that we've got. Yeah, definitely. So we have uh, Abasolo, which is an ancestral corn whiskey. Got the bottle right here. And um, Abasolo started uh, almost six years now. And uh, with the intent of capturing the cultural, the biological, and then sensorial aspect that Mexico has to offer. So um, I think this whiskey is, is, well, it definitely is unique, but it's perfectly balanced and it perfectly represents Mexico in spirit form. So um before I even kind of go into Abasolo, we're part of a family-owned company. The, the family-owned company is called Casa Lumbre. It's a Mexican spirits company. And so that, that goal has always been with any um, inception of a new brand. So we, we started with Mezcal. We did, we did Mezcal first. Uh, naturally, you know, being in Mexico, agave is abundant and, um, and plentiful. Um, and then we went on to Chile, uh, Chile Poblano specifically. Uh, we made a liqueur out of that. And the next raw material, and I think a raw material that um, is so representative of Mexico, um, it's widely, uh, it's around the world. You can find it in every corner and it's uh, maiz or corn, as, as we like to say. So um, we yeah, now have- We've heard of corn. <laughs> you like that? I said, we've, we've heard of corn. <laughs> we've heard of corn, yeah. So maiz, uh, so maiz corn did not look what- what we know as corn of today did not look like this. Um, corn is a is it go it predates ten thousand years. Uh, the birthplace of corn is Mexico. There is no denying that. I have gotten into some discussion with certain people that think that corn is from you know North America or you know whether it be Nebraska, Kentucky, whatever you may be. But this is. The fact that Mexico is the birthplace of corn is not a debate. Um, the only debate is where in Mexico it came from. So um, half the scientists um, say that it came from um, Estado de Mexico by Nevado de Toluca, um, which is in central Mexico, very close to Mexico City, uh, which is where we actually get this cacahuacinle corn. And the other half says it's in closer to Oaxaca and Puebla, but there's no denying. And when I mean corn did not look like it did 10,000 years ago, um, it, the it all came from Teosimple. And I know these words, they're, they're Mayan, they're Aztec, um, they're Nahuatl words. But Teosimple means grain of the God. That's how much importance we put to maiz in Mexico. So um, I think in United States, we've we've kind of taken the, the corn and have created more for yield, um, whether that be oils or or things of that nature. But in Mexico, where, where it is, um, corn has always been a, a part of our daily lives. It's cultural, it's social, um, and sometimes even religious. So the corn we're using is a corn called cacahuacinple. I know it's a, a little bit of a tongue twister, but this cacahuacinple, it comes from a Nahuatl word, which uh, means the, ca the caca means cacao, and then simple translates to dried corn on the cob. So cacahuacinple. 
Um, and and yeah, this corn is, I mean, it's very special. Um, it only grows above 6,000 feet, uh, 6,500 feet above sea level. Um, it does not grow below, below that, so you won't find it. So it's very abundant in Mexico, in the, in the highlands or higher in the mountains, uh, but it won't grow anywhere else. And Cacao Simple actually from the Nevado Toluca is where we get our corn from. So from the birthplace of corn. Well, I love some Mexican street corn, uh, especially, you know, you put some sour cream on there, a little chili pepper. No, it's, uh, but, yes. but seriously, I mean, do you, you sound so cool when when you say all this, all these words and the way that you say them. I mean, I imagine to work at Abasolo, you you've got to be able to nail that part of it, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was a prerequisite. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you get involved with them? Um, I mean, there's a ton of history. Uh, there's a, I mean, it, it seems very unique all the way down to what you guys are using. I mean, corn, you know, specific corn from the highlands, you know, only in Mexico. How how did you? get involved with this company well i'm actually so i'm mexican myself um i know i look uh, a little paler i'm on the i'm in the north part ciudad juarez so chihuahua so we're a little bit lighter lighter skin uh, but being that i'm from the mexican descent i started you know cooking when i was very young with my mom uh and my sisters um being in the kitchen being around that environment was was just kind of a daily part of life and that Mexican hospitality. So that's where it all started from for me was that food and the drinks was always revolved around a good time. That was where the parties were. That's where everything, you know, came and it wasn't so much to get drunk. It was just that's what you do. You just offer what you have. So um, I started in the hospitality industry. That was my first job at a very fancy restaurant called Chili's. Uh, believe it or not. Uh, so I started as a host there um, and then, you know, went to busser, eventually server. And then from there, I just got hooked. I never looked back. And I went from being in Chili's um, to being in several different restaurants to eventually being bar manager and then eventually being bar director of a several different uh, bars. So I just kind of progressed my way. Um, and I've, I've been in the hospitality industry for a little over 15 years now. And, um, and with that being said, I always took trips down to Mexico, whether it be uh, to go visit mezcal distilleries. Um, I always loved visiting distilleries. So whiskey distilleries, mezcal distilleries, anything I could visit, I would do. I was just like a sponge. I just wanted to absorb so much. And um, in one of those trips, eventually I got to know the the owners of a very well-known tequila brand and mezcal brand. So uh, Guillermo Salsa, he's the owner of Fortaleza Tequila and Los Abuelos. So we became good friends um, and then with friends of friends, just how it is in a Mexican party. So eventually I became an ambassador for uh, Fortaleza, Don Fulano and Arete and I kind of helped them out. And it was just such a natural thing. I, I love agave, I love Mexico. So um, I was doing that for a couple of years. Um, and then from that, I think my uh, my my passion and and everything, you know, you start exploring, you start networking, and so then eventually, um, Aba Solo or Casa Lumbre reached out and said if I was interested in launching a new product that hadn't been, wasn't on the market yet, and I said, all right, well, I'm open to talking. So we got to talking. I got the story. Didn't get to see the bottles, which I did not want to see the bottle design. I didn't want to see anything about it. I just wanted to taste the juice for itself. Um, so I tasted the, the, the juice in a plastic little bottle. Um, and as soon as I tasted, I'm like, this is whiskey. I was like, what? Like this tastes so unique and so different. Um, and so I said, I'm hooked. Let's do this. And that's kind of where my venture led on to work for Abasolo. 
So you're talking about distilleries and, and visiting different distilleries. I'm looking at uh, the website here for you guys, and the distillery looks totally different than than what I'm used to. Kind of describe that and 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 tell me like the is there a particular reason uh, for the yeah. design? Yeah, absolutely. It was um, the the distillery itself was designed by an amazing Mexican architect uh, named Lorenzo Alvarez, and the whole purpose of this distillery was to get the 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 modern art um, distillery um, but with aspects of rustic um, indigenous Mexico so where we're located is called Gilotepec de Abasolo which I'll get into that name remind me um, but the distillery itself was designed uh, from its inception to create Abasolo so there might be other whiskeys out there or Mexican whiskeys that um that are out there, but they are not designed in a specifically whiskey distillery. So they are either made in a Palenque, in a Mezcal distillery, or somewhere else. So it's almost an afterthought and not talking bad about anything or anyone. I'm just, this is what we decided. We knew we wanted to make whiskey and we wanted to design something specifically for whiskey. So um, as you could see, it's the the structure, it's got the, you know, the old rustic walls. Um, I, I could put the, the mm. distillery on the chat later, but um, but the actual the the uh, what do you call them the poles uh, that hold the structure up they right. actually represent uh, corn silos or what we call cenotes. So it's where you put your corn to dry, um, and so everything about that distillery has an aspect of corn, Mexico, and just the whole energy of it. So so what about Mexican whiskey? What what is what makes it different? Are, are there similar profiles? Or are there something that completely sets it apart from, let's just say, American whiskey? Something. Give me an idea of. of is there any difference? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, our, our main difference here in, in our whiskey um, is the corn we use and the respect to the raw material. So um, we are choosing the corn, and and maybe you can look at it as an agave spirit where. Everything, the importance of it is the plant, right? You don't see so many aged mezcals, um, uh, some tequilas now, yes, of course, but the whole product is this raw material is the plant. And I think we've lost a little bit of that romanticism uh, in, in the States. I, again, I have my favorite whiskeys out there and I love them all, but I think they're, they're completely different. And look, Mexico was never uh, known to make whiskey, even though we have almost 40 different ancestral types of corn. Um, sadly, some of these are going extinct, but corn for us was, was for food. And we didn't really make whiskey because we paid attention to the agave plant. Um, so um, we, we pay attention to the raw material here at Abasolo. That's kind of like our big thing. And we use an ancestral cooking process called nixtamalization, uh, which we'll get into. But I think Americans um, or, or American whiskey is uh, maybe a little bit more robust in the sense of aging. I think the barrel has a lot of that magic and a lot mm -hmm. of importance instead of the raw material. And I think we kind of flip it on its head. We, we look at the raw material as the more important part and the barrel is, is the touch. So I look at our corn as, as the cake or our whiskey as the cake and the barrels the icing on the cake. And in some American whiskeys, you might look at it in verse where it's almost not that there's no importance, but that product where the magic happens is in a basement in in a barrel, right? Not not right. So I think those are those are the alternate things uh, specifically with Abasolo. So it's interesting because you know I, I'm 
we, we are used to hearing so much about the aging process. We're used to hearing so much about uh, the barrels that are used, the finishes and stuff like that. And, um, you know, you, you talk about the, these distilleries and they say, you know, we use the finest ingredients. We use the finest ingredients. We use the best corn. We use the best wheat. But they don't really go into what that is. I mean, Will, we've been to, I mean, we've been to 30 plus distilleries and, yeah. you know, and, and we hear, we only use local ingredients, but they don't talk about where those ingredients come from, what they are, what's special about that, uh, special about that corn, why they selected that kind of wheat and, you know, how, how much of it is they're just using whatever local ingredients are available uh, in their process to make it consistent and how much, you know, who's actually taking the time to really source through and go through those ingredients. So it's interesting that, you know, you guys are putting the focus more on what a lot of these other distilleries don't ever focus on um, and speaking less about what most other distilleries will hang up their shingle on. So that, that is pretty cool actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, Oh, no, no, it's just agreeing with him. It's super cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that aspect of it. Yeah, and we're very open and transparent on where uh, we get our corn, who we get it from, and all those things. So hopefully uh, when when we have the slowdown of COVID, when it's safe to travel again, I would love to host you guys at the distillery so you can see and walk the fields and, and meet the farmers and meet the families that we work with. Um, but, yeah, our corn, the, the cacao simple corn, it, it's um, – our, our cornfields are in Nevada de Toluca and Calimaya, which is around 30 miles away from the distillery. It does take about an hour and a half to get there. It's only 30 miles, but you know, you have to go down the hills and traffic and all those things accumulate to about an hour and a half, but it's relatively close. And, uh, and the farmer we work with, uh, which is uh, Juan Carlos Carmona, he's uh, the fifth generation um, corn farmer. His father, uh, the fourth generation, um, as well as still there, but he's in the sense now slowing down, retiring and kind of enjoying the life. So Juan Carlos has now uh, taken over and, um, you know, they've been protecting this corn and through through five centuries now. And that's their livelihood. They don't plant anything else. They're not focused on any other business. And, and when we go to their house, you know, it's they offer everything they have. We don't have much to offer but here it is, which is the whole sense of Mexican hospitality, but they live, breathe, uh, and die corn. I mean, this is what they do. So um, they actually, um, we do another uh, liqueur, which is called Nixta. It's a corn liqueur, licor de lote, and they toast the corn there in the house. And um, it's just amazing to see how much time, effort, and, and not only that, it's not a job for them. It's just a livelihood. It's just the lifestyle. So we work directly with these farmers. There are no middlemen that cut this this um, these transactions. We work directly with them and we finance them directly because sadly in Mexico, I mean, in other worlds, parts of the world as well, but in Mexico specifically, the middleman is usually the one taking the biggest cut and probably doing the least amount of work. Right. Well, Will's in sales, so. No, I'm just <laughs> So, Tough you know, out there. <laughs> so, so, so we take this corn and, and, and we get it directly from them. We hand cut it. Um, and, and there's two reasons for hand cutting it. Number one, we inspect the, the corn. I have one here. This is, this is cacao simple. I've been picking off at it a little bit, but um, the cacao simple corn is hand cut. 
And the, the reason for that is, number one, with an ancestral corn from Mexico, you get what's called wheat lacoche that grows on the corn. What us Americans know as corn smut. Not as sexy, nor do we eat it. Uh, corn smut, since we are dealing with GMO corn, um, this is more of a mold instead of a mushroom. So in Mexico, when you see it, it's more of a mushroom kind of thing. So they they hand cut it to cut around that because it's a natural growing corn. They can sell it, which they mostly do, and they cook with it. Um, but another reason why we hand cut with it is because we don't want to get close to the cob. Um, so the closer you get to the cob, the more oil you release. And with the more oil that you release, if you just think about it in cooking, you add oil to a pan and the more you're going hot and cold, hot and cold, by the third or fourth time use, you're going to get a bitter and rancid flavor. Right. And um, and so, yeah, once after we get uh, hand cut the corn, uh, we dry it. And uh, the the most unique thing about Abasolo is that we nixtamalize our corn. Um, this is a 4,000 year old ancestral process um, that it, it almost came naturally. So we experimented with around 15 to 16 different varieties of ancestral corn. And the whole purpose was always flavor. It had nothing to do with yield. And after experimenting with all of them, we landed on cacahuacintle corn. It had the best flavor, did not have that much yield. But again, flavor was uh, the main point. And after that flavor, um, we, we started looking back and said, how can we respect and flourish this corn and express it in its best way possible? So naturally, we started looking at cooking um, and we went with this old uh, cooking process or ancestral cooking process called nixtamalization. Um, nixtamalization, uh, if you don't know, or for those that don't know, it's an alkaline solution. So it's water and lime or limestone, what we call cal in, in Mexico. And so what you do is you get water, you get this cal, and you put the corn in there and you cook it for about three, well, for us, we cook it about three hours. Everyone at their home, this is a thing that is not uh, foreign to us because everyone in their house does it a little bit different. They have their own little recipe or how they cook it. For us, it's three hours in this alkaline solution with heat. After that, we turn off the heat and we let the corn sit for a total of 12 hours overnight. Um, and what it does is it breaks down the pericarp, the outer thin layer uh, of corn that it has, and it makes it malleable. It makes it, number one, it, it uh, eliminates any mycotoxins that it may have. And then it, um, it, it builds the enzymes and kind of creates this, uh, this more malleable, flavorful and uh, healthier corn. And so what that does is it allows you to make masa, so masa for tamales, tortillas, playudas, tostadas, anything of that nature, it cannot be done without nixtamalization. So any of those foods are not done without nixtamalization. So not at only does it eliminate mycotoxins and makes it healthy and digestible for the human body, but it makes it more flavorful. So what with that corn, I know we're talking about uh, the corn right now and, and um, how unique it is in the process. One of the things that I, I kind of, I meant to ask earlier, but I keep thinking about it. It keeps coming back in. It's, so, you know, we're used to uh, here in the U.S., you know, like sweet corn, uh, just that, you know, that bright yellow uh, corn that's, you know, it, the, the flavor is just you know, very sweet. And it's, is there a different type of flavor with that? Like I, I was looking at the corn on the website earlier and, the one that you showed, and it just does look a lot different than what we have here in the U.S. Is the flavor profile a lot different 
just it completely is um yeah we we are uh kind of glued not only by our our years and years of making whiskey but also by the government you know this yellow dent number two reigns supreme um and uh this corn definitely has a lot of flavor i think i mean maybe you can tell if you know if you buy a mission tortilla or a, a tortilla from a well, whatever store compared to a handmade tortilla you can just tell the difference and not only is that the, the nixtamalization but it has a lot to do with the corn so this corn especially in our whiskey maybe you taste it maybe you don't but you get a lot of chocolatey flavors um uh yeah i mean that also might be my brain just because of the cacao cinta but i get a lot of like uh chocolate uh flavors it's just bolder rounder bigger and it has I don't know. I, I can, I, I, I like to think of that yellow corn that you're thinking about as very citrus, like forward, very acidic. I wouldn't even say citrus. I would say more acidic and a little bit uh, bland, but yes, when you taste this corn and ancestral corns for that, that matter, you can definitely taste a difference. I love the way you're describing it. Really the, the chocolate forward. I mean, tell me it, where can we find this? Is, is, is this available in the U S and where? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So you can um, so you can go to abasolowhiskey.com and you can actually type in your zip code and that zip code will lead you to the closest store near you. Um, but we are in BevMo, we're in Total Wine uh, and more. Um, we're on Drizzly, um, on all these online retailers. We're at Aster Wines for those uh, in New York. We're at Binnie's in Illinois. So there's plenty, plenty of stores um, that that have it, but I would say that if you if you want to find it quick, I would go to the to the website, type in your zip code, and it's going to give it give it to you. And if worse comes to worse, what I tell people all the time is feel free to reach out on Instagram and ask me not only any questions of where to find it, but about the product. And that's usually my quickest response is on Instagram, and I'll just say what's your zip code or your address, and I'll point you in the right direction. So Caesar, you're a uh, brand ambassador. Kind of tell us a little bit about what that means um, uh, and, and what you do for uh, yeah. Absolo. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I've become now a digital ambassador because I'm so uh, yeah. so much on the computer and all that. But brand ambassador, what it is and, and how it started originally, this this amazing and I'm so thankful to have this job. But um, what it started as being the master distiller's right hand man, not necessarily at the distillery, but to be able to express the story the ingredients you should i should know everything that the master distiller knows um, and that people can go to when the master distiller is busy out of town whatever it may be so first and foremost is education um advocacy um also comes with it so brand awareness um and kind of just spreading that love so for me it's spreading this nixtamalization this awareness of corn of history of corn of uh, Simple and things like that. But what a brand ambassador does necessarily, I think everyone looks at it like, well, you go to bars and drink, which yes, is part of the job, um, but it's more sign of a, what's sign you up. You got it. <laughs> um, and so, so it's brand awareness, it's education, it's advocacy, and it's all those things combined. And of course, those are all the things that um, like you to see, uh, but there's a lot of hidden work, you know, behind it and computer and, and long days, but but the fun part is to be able to interact, obviously not so much right now with COVID, but that was my favorite part about it, to be able to jump in behind a bar and guest bartend or just talk to new people. I love meeting people. I'm a social butterfly. So tell me this, next to uh, Abasola, what is your uh, whiskey of choice? 
Well, I have a couple. I don't have one. People always ask me, what's your favorite cocktail? What's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And I always have that question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it just depends on my mood. Um, But I would have to say that a couple of whiskeys, which uh, I think the first thing that I ever fell in love with, which was years ago, now it's popular. Now it's a little expensive, but I would say it's Henry McKenna, the bottle and bond. 10 year that was uh, one of my favorites for a long time um old fitzgerald of course um i tend to lean to it's funny that i now that i'm thinking and saying it out loud i guess i tend to bottle in bonds um old forester prohibition style is what this yeah you can yeah that you can it's just it's something fantastic uh and then you know the i think as far as Japanese, I would probably say uh, Nika. Nika is one of them. And Koriko is really good too. But I would say probably Nika coffee grain whiskey is really good. Centauri. But again, I have so many moods and I have so much respect for all the whiskeys that are made. But I would have to say if I had top favorites or a top three, it'd be Bottle and Bond Henry McKenna, Old Firster Prohibition, uh, and uh, Old Fitzgerald. It's so funny, man. I, I, I totally feel you on that. Just having, it's almost like depending on the mood is depending on what, what types of whiskey I gravitate towards, you know? Yeah. And I mean, there's just, there's a whiskey for every occasion there really is. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So, but right now my favorite, of course, the one and only right now. So, but that's what they pay me for, right? So mixing up cocktails, what's your, uh, what's your favorite cocktail? Um, I think um, as far as with this whiskey or in general or a whiskey cocktail. Yeah, tell us both. Tell us uh, what, what, what cocktail uh, does, does Abasolo tend to, uh, I mean, what, what would it highlight the best, I guess? Yeah, I mean, a simple serve would be the Abasolo Itopo, what Texans call the ranch water. Um, but that's a Mexican highball. I think Abasolo, uh, Topo Chico, and a little lemon or orange twist do great. Um, and I really, what I really, really like it in is a split base, um, with a, which is going to sound completely weird, but a pina colada. So you do one ounce from one ounce of a solo. Yeah. So you pick up these like tiki flavors that are, that are really, really awesome. Um, a Boulevardier, honestly, I think it's one of my favorite Boulevardiers because depending on what whiskey you use, you can overshadow the other ingredients, but I think the Saba Solo is light enough. So I would probably say a Boulevardier um is is definitely up there as well and of course the old-fashioned i mean that's just typical and and almost things but what i like to do with it what i created at home was actually kind of like a not a hot toddy but similar idea where i use chamomile tea um, i use solo, some fresh lemon juice and a little bit of simple syrup with a dash of ango shake it collins glass it's fantastic it goes great with tea sounds awesome hot toddies man are the the cure-all yeah <laughs> Yeah, anytime I feel safe. I feel like I'm going to be drinking a lot of those uh, in my East Coast time coming up in Chicago, New York. So, mm-hmm. Fair enough, man. They'll keep, you, they'll keep you warm in the winter and they'll stave the colds away. So, yeah. so that's good. So uh, the Avasolo, that, um, you know, just kind of in summation. So the Avasolo, man, it's very cool that you guys are focused in on the actual basal ingredient, the corn that it's made out of, that you guys are really focused on. The, it seems like you guys are very intentional with every single step, all the way from from the growing the uh, you know the growth of the corn, what kind of corn you're using, to 
how you're drawing it out to to where it's going. It just seems like intentionality is is more or less the theme here. Making sure that you're intentional, making sure that you give the proper respect to every single step, all the way back down to 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 the the very base. Would you say that that's accurate? You know, you guys are intentional. Yeah, that's that's perfectly accurate, and I I guess I didn't follow all the way through, but that is completely true. It it all starts from from the beginning, from the root, um, and then you know once we get to uh, after nixtamalization, what we do is we roast the corn. So we took these coffee roasters and we adapted it to kind of our needs, and so we roast the corn, giving it another essence of flavor. They almost come out like. Uh, corn nuts so we can eat them at the distillery just kind of like that um and then we do uh, a, a first run distillation what we call ordinario uh, as, as mexicans call ordinario what we call low wine in the whiskey world and so they're in a 2500 liter copper pot still so relatively small um nice gooseneck it was actually designed by our master distiller um, and so we do this first run, but when we, when we ferment our, our wort, it's already been nixtamalized. Um, and now when you're fermenting, we use actually champagne yeast. So we don't use a corn yeast. We use champagne yeast, um, because, um, just to, to handle all the alcohol. So our wort actually ends up being around 12%, uh, ABV. Um, and then after the first run, it actually comes out at 40% ABV, which is pretty, I mean, it's unheard of. Usually it's a little bit lower. And that juice right there is fantastic. Uh, we don't do any cuts. We don't cut, um, we don't cut any heads. Uh, we only cut tails until up to 36% uh, ABV. And then even though the juice is fantastic, beautiful on its own like it is, we want to age it in barrels. Um, so we need to do a second run. So we do a second run, and that run comes out at 62.5 ABV or 125 proof. And then we put it in X bourbon barrels. So American oak, X bourbon. And another unique thing that we do is we age it outdoors. So it's not in a basement. It's not underground. Yes, our angel share is much higher. But what this does is that it, it, our elevation at the distillery is around 8,000 feet. So it's one of the highest distilleries. But it, it lets the air, the Mexico terroir, to, that whiskey to live, breathe, and interact with Mexico, giving it that sense of Mexican terroir. Well, excellent, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to share your passion with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about Avasolo and uh, – yeah, I mean, so guys, if you're looking for it, you can go directly to their website and uh, punch in your zip, see where it is close to you. Check this out. It is. Uh, it seems to be a, a nice uh, sip of some incredible uh, multi-thousand-year-old heritage. And uh, so, I mean, I guess it would be drinkable history, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and if anyone has any questions or anything, again – I'm on Instagram. Um, you could just type in my name or S-A-Y-S-A-R, Cesar, um, and feel free to ask me questions or anything, cocktail creations or whatever you may need. So, Excellent, guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you all next week, Eastern Standard Time for Whiskey Wednesday. Thank you guys so much. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Whiskey Culture Podcast. We'd like to give a special shout out to our sponsors, Whiskey Willies, Davidoff of Geneva, and Dark Door Spirits. Thanks for all your support. And if you'd like to support us as well, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Thank you guys so much. See you next time.